The following audio is from Missio Day Church in Asheville, North Carolina. We exist for maturing and multiplying disciples in Asheville and beyond for the glory of God. For more resources from Missio Day or to partner with us on mission, visit mdcavl.org. Welcome. As, as Matt mentioned, uh, welcome to Steadfast Church. Some of you might be like, I thought I was coming to Missio Day Church. And uh, if you're new and you don't know, uh, the, the beautiful people of Bent Creek, many of whom are here, uh, and Missio are coming together, and we're forming one new church called Steadfast Church. And uh, renovations are already underway uh, at the building, which is amazing. Uh, we're hoping still to be able to uh, have a Christmas Eve gathering in there together, both services under one roof and as one church. And so just really amazed by what God has been doing and uh, grateful for your presence here with us. Before we get uh, rolling, I want to just take a moment to say thank you uh, to all of our veterans. Any of you who have served in our armed forces, uh, we realize that, uh, of course, Veterans Day was Friday, but we are here able to worship freely, to worship Jesus without threat of, uh, of condemnation or, or threat of uh, attack or any of that because there are, are men and women who have served in the armed forces to protect our freedoms. And so can we just say thank you to our veterans? If you got your Bibles, and I hope you do, uh, go ahead and turn to Philippians chapter 4. If you are new and you want to be known, there's a connect card. In fact, uh, I think I asked last week, uh, if you didn't fill a Connect card out last week, even if you're a regular, uh, go ahead and fill one out this week for us just so we can update our records because we get a lot of information to get out to you in the next few weeks. And so there's a blue and gray card there in the seat back you can grab and just let us uh, fill up that information out. And there's a giving box in the back. You can put that card in if you want to. Uh, we're wrapping up Philippians. So uh, Missio Day pre-merger uh, was walking through the book of Philippians. And so we've just got two weeks left in the book. And then we're, he- we're at Advent, y'all. Like it's Christmas season already. Isn't that crazy? So we're wrapping up uh, the book of Philippians. One of the central themes that we've kind of made known and is obvious from the screen is joy. The, the, one of the big themes of the book of Philippians is joy. And Jesus said that he taught us so that his joy would be in us and so that our joy would be complete. Uh, and yet throughout this series, we've acknowledged that the world we live in seems to be marked by division and anger, and fear, and anxiety, and stress, and what one author called joyless urgency. We acknowledge that, right? We've admitted we kind of live in some of those spaces, and this is not the life that Jesus came to give us. This is not the abundant life that Jesus promises. This is not why Christ died for us, to, to have us settle for joyless mediocrity, right? And so we remember that as Paul wrote this letter to the church at Philippi, he was not sitting in a comfy leather chair in his pastor's office, sipping a latte. He was in prison and he's, and he's awaiting trial. He doesn't know what his fate is. And as he writes this letter to this church, this church is facing persecution from outside And they're facing conflict and turmoil from inside. We'll see that even today. Some members who are not getting along. And yet, in this book, Paul mentions joy more than any other book of the Bible. Joy is mentioned more than any other book. And so what we've been trying to do is get our arms around, how do we embrace this joy that only Jesus can provide? And as we wrap this letter up, Paul today is going to give us some, some, I think, practical handles for reclaiming 
the joy that only Jesus can provide for us. So if you have your Bible open, um, we're going to start in chapter 4, verse 1. It'll also be on the screens here if you don't have a copy of God's Word in front of you. But uh, if you do, you can look on and I'll read the first nine verses here of Philippians chapter 4. We'll, we'll dive in here. It would be helpful if I was in Philippians and not Colossians. So give me one second. Here we go. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, it's implied whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. I entreat Euodia and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel, together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers, whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, Whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is any, anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. This is God's word. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Father, once again, we come before you just grateful to be your children who um, are loved by you. Grateful to be one family as we have um, brought these two congregations together. And I know that uh, yet we, we may not quite feel like we belong to one another yet, but that is our continued prayer and, and encouragement and expectation is that you will help us to feel like one family, that we belong to one another uh, sooner than later. And so we, we welcome one another as Christ has welcomed us, and we, we are thankful that you are building your church um, through us. And so now as we come to your word, as we come to what is, uh, for, for many, probably a very familiar passage of the scripture um, Lord, we ask you to give us fresh eyes and ears to see uh, with new clarity the truth that you want to convey through this text. And I pray that you would help me, Holy Spirit, to rightly divide this word, that it may encourage and exhort your people, and that we may see the beauty of Jesus um, more clearly and cling to him more fervently. And so we ask your blessing over our study together in the beautiful name of Jesus. And everybody said, amen. amen. All right, so uh, as, we, as, we, as Paul's sort of wrapping up this letter, uh, he starts in verse four, chap uh, sorry, chapter four, verse one, with therefore. And of course, when, when there's a therefore, it's referring to what came before, right? And so he says, therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, you feel his, his uh, tenderness, his affection for this church. Stand firm, my beloved, my joy and crown. I mean, he just sort of gushing towards these people with passion. And then he calls these two women, Euodia, I think, and Syntyche, if you think you can pronounce it better, I'm, I'm all ears, uh, Euodia and Syntyche, to agree in the Lord. 
asks in verse three, his true companion, that's probably the pastor of the Philippian church, or maybe uh, his companion, Luke, who isn't mentioned in the book of Philippians, to help them, uh, and, and that these women are laborers with him. Basically, when Paul's writing this letter, as he's referring back to what he's written before, in chapter four, therefore, what happened before? Chapter three, chapter three, verses 17 to 21, Paul is setting up this contrast between people who have their minds set on the things of the earth and those who are citizens of heaven. And so people whose minds are set on the things of the earth, he says, have confidence in the flesh. Now, confidence in the flesh can look like two things. It can look like disobedience to the commands of God, or it can look like reliance on my obedience to the commands of God. But either way, it's trusting in myself, not trusting in Jesus. And so he says, hey, listen, these are people in chapter three, those, those verses 17 to 20, these are people who have their minds set on the things of the earth. You, you are citizens of heaven. So you get your minds on the things of God. Remember who you are. Remember your identity. You belong to Jesus. In other words, get a broader perspective on all your issues and circumstances and problems. Stand firm together in your new identity and, uh, and don't be distracted with lesser things like the conflict that's happening between these two women. So if you're a note taker, my first point is gaining new perspective. That's what Paul's sort of exhortation is to these people, to gain new perspective. Get, a, get like a 30,000 foot view of your life and your circumstances so that you can put things in the proper perspective. Don't get distracted with lesser things like whatever this issue is between these women. Now, wouldn't this be embarrassing? Like if right now I knew that there were two of you in conflict and I just called you out publicly, that would be embarrassing, right? And I wouldn't do that, so don't worry. But these women have been called out and it's recorded in the Bible. Like if I called you out, it's on YouTube right now, live, and so it'd be recorded for, you know, on YouTube and you'd go and watch me calling people out. This is recorded for all of eternity in the scripture. But, but Paul is not one to shame people which means this conflict between these women was probably already public. Everyone in the church knew about it. These two women are not getting along. And so Paul feels freedom to now address it specifically. And how many of you know that when, whether it's in your family, at work, you know, among your friends, or even in a church, when you've got two people whom you love who are in conflict with one another, it makes it kind of awkward for everybody else. It's hard, right? It's a struggle when you know there's tension, you know there's friction, you know there's conflict between people. And so Paul, being the good shepherd, the good pastor that he is, he's going to call it out and say, hey, get it together. We got to get on the same page here. Now, it's, it's apparent that this was not a primary theological issue they were in conflict about, because if it had been, Paul would have certainly addressed it. Paul does not pull punches when it comes to heresy or false doctrine all through the scripture. Paul's very clear on what is true and what is false as it regards doctrine. So it's likely that this was a secondary issue. Maybe, this is my speculation, it has to do with something that Paul referred to in chapter 2. You don't have to turn there, but I'll read in chapter 2, verse 3. Paul says, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Maybe these two women, one or both of them, were being selfish, were being prideful, were looking out for themselves over one another, and it had caused some tension, some conflict. And so Paul is calling them out. Now, these are not just troublemakers. These are not um, catty church women, you know? Th these women, he says, were co-laborers with him. 
Literally, the term that's used there means it's a gladiatorial term. They had fought side by side with Paul for the advance of the gospel. So these are women who are ferociously gifted, who um, are very faithful to Jesus and have been used by Jesus to help build this church in Philippi, Philippi. And now they are at odds with each other. And so he says to them, look at it again. Um, verse two, I entreat the ESV's rendering, meaning, okay, there are some times in the Bible when Paul will appeal to his apostolic authority and he'll say, as the apostle Paul, I command you this, or I say in the Lord, do this. This is not that. This is Paul as a loving shepherd to his people, as a almost fatherly saying, guys, please, please, will you get on the same page? Will you, will you see eye to eye here? Will you be of the same mind, agree in the Lord together? There is too much on the line for the sake of the gospel and the advance of the church for you to be at each other's throats about something that ultimately doesn't matter. Like, how will we win the world to Jesus if we are fighting about the same stuff the world fights over? And so Paul is not necessarily minimizing their conflict, but he's trying to get them to put it in broader perspective, okay? Here's how it would go. Jesus is Lord, God, Savior, Christ, and King. He lived a life we could not live, perfect, sinless in every way. He died the death we all deserve for our sin and rebellion, taking God's wrath upon himself. And he rose from the dead on the third day, conquering our real enemies of sin, death, and hell. And one day, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. Paul has already said that to us in the book of Philippians, hasn't he? And by the way, he tells us here in verse three of chapter four, your names are written in the book of life. Like God has a book and in this book are inscribed all the names of those who have, who truly belong to him. All those who have received with empty hands of faith, the finished work of Jesus are written in his book, the book of life. That's amazing. Like that ought to cause some amens, honestly, right? That your name. So we're going to sing in just a little while. Uh, my name is graven on his hands. My name is written on his heart. That's wonderful. In, in the gospel of Luke, Jesus sends out his disciples, right? And they come back and they're like, Jesus, this is amazing. You gave us power and even the demons obey us. And he goes, yeah, big deal. Don't rejoice that the spirits submit to you. Rejoice that your names are written in heaven. And not only that, he is now at work in us, both to work and to will for his good pleasure. So in light of all of that, in light of everything we have in Jesus and all that we are in Jesus, Paul's basically saying, what was this little quibble you guys had? What's this squabbling about in light of the kingdom of God and all of eternity? What are you fighting about again? You see, putting it in perspective. There's too much on the line. There's too much at stake to be squabbling and, and quibbling over trivial things. Now, sometimes we are not gonna see eye to eye. We just won't. Paul and Barnabas did not see eye to eye, did they? And they ended up dividing. Now, they blessed each other on the way out. They didn't bless each other out. They blessed each other on the way out and said, 
Lord bless you and keep you, right? And eventually they were reconciled and came back together. But sometimes, because we, God has given us different perspectives and ways of seeing things, we're just not going to see eye to eye all the time. And that's okay. We can bless one another and say, okay, we, we can still have fellowship, though we don't agree on everything. Sometimes our pride, our sin, our selfishness separates us from other people. And this is so important as we become one new church family. It's so important that we have wisdom and discernment that only the Holy Spirit can give us to know, is this my preference and someone else just sees it differently? Or is there a sin issue here that we need to address? To have the wisdom to do that and to have the courage to deal with our differences so that we do not divide. Amen? So this is Paul's first sort of admonition here in, in chapter four is that we would gain new perspective on all our challenges, all our problems, all our you know, quibbles and those kinds of things. Now, you guys with me so far? All right, so let's move on. Um, let's look at verses four through seven. I'll read them and then I'll give you the, the title of the point. So he kind of changes directions here. Verse four, rejoice in the Lord always. I say, I will say again, rejoice. Apparently somebody didn't hear me back there in the back. So I'm gonna say rejoice one more time. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So my second point here is that we are guarded by peace. Guarded by peace. Paul tells us here in verse four that one of the marks of a Christian, a follower of Jesus, is that we rejoice in any and every circumstance without exception. Rejoice always. And that's easy enough, right? We can blow past that because we all get it. Yeah? No. <laughs> We're going, rejoice always. Okay. Uh, this week, I'm telling you, there's a lot going on with building stuff and renovations and all that. But aside from that, in this church family, there's a lot of pain, suffering, sorrow, trial, hardship, tragedy, even just this week. And it's been a very heavy week. People experiencing loss and diagnoses and all kinds of things that are just, they sit on us heavily because people are really hurting. And as you know, when, when people in your family hurt, you hurt, don't you? And so we, we sit with all that pain and then we read Paul's words and he says, rejoice always. And we go, really? And he goes, yeah. Yeah, because joy is not found in your circumstances. Joy is found in the great gifts of Jesus. In the forgiveness of our sins, in our justification, our standing with God. In our acceptance with all our warts, you know, we are accepted in Christ. Um, our adoption into the family of God, that we are called the sons and daughters of the most high God, that we have all the rights and privileges that Jesus himself enjoys as the son of God, because we belong to God through Christ. Joy in the indwelling presence of God's Holy Spirit, which brings us comfort and assurance of God's love. Joy in knowing that all of our circumstances and even our very lives are in his hands. 
Isn't that good news? And so therefore, we can let our reasonableness be made known to everyone. Now, I know that you all use the word reasonableness all the time, and so I don't need to explain it. But for those of you who might not, some translations call it gentleness. But it's not just like gentleness, like um, meekness. It's a gentleness that comes from strength. Another way of thinking about it is um, being a non-anxious presence in the face of challenges. Hmm. How do we do that? Some of you are like, I don't, I'm just a ball of anxiety. I don't know how to be a non-anxious presence. How do you even do that? He says here, because the Lord is at hand. The Lord is at hand. He is sovereign. He is in control. And he loves me. And I can trust him. And so he is at hand, and I am confident that everything I go through in this life, he is working together for his glory and my ultimate good. And so then he can say to us, hey, don't be anxious. And we're like, yeah, I don't... <laughs> I wasn't anxious until you said don't be anxious, and now I'm anxious about being anxious. Now I'm worried about being worried. What am I supposed to do here, Paul? Because here's the reality. Who wants to be anxious? Anybody want to be anxious? Is this what you lead with on your eHarmony dating profile? <laughs> I love good restaurants and walks in the mountains and crippling anxiety. That's what I'm about. Like no one leads with that, right? That's not. So I want, I want to point something out to you that I had never seen. Here's what I love about the Bible, guys. <laughs> You can read a passage a thousand times and the thousand and first time the Lord shows you something you've never seen before. Isn't that true? So good. So, I, I mean, I've read Philippians, I've preached Philippians, but I've never quite seen, and maybe, I'm, I know I'm slow on the uptake, so some of you are like, yeah, I knew this already, and that's fine. I'm adult, I will admit it, but no, notice this. Okay, he says, do not, verse, verse six, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known to God. So we're letting our gentleness or our non-anxiousness be made known to everyone. We're letting our requests be made known to God. Here's, here's, my, here's the thing I observed. What if, what if we saw our anxieties and our worries and our fears as gracious reminders from the Holy Spirit of God to pray. I can't bring myself quite to say that, that anxieties are a gift, <laughs> but what if God uses, he takes our anxieties and our fears and he graciously uses those to remind us, this is what you're supposed to pray about. So you're driving down the road in the car and all of a sudden a, a thought floods your mind about your, your child, for instance, you know, and maybe they're in elementary school and you're like, I do not know how they're going to get out of, like, I want them to grow up and be on the news in a good way. That's all I'm asking for. Maybe they're already an adult and you're really concerned about who they're dating or the job they're taking. Maybe, you know, maybe, uh, maybe you're single and you're searching for a, a significant other and you're just you know, you're, you're anxious about that because, you know, time's running out, you know, and well, I don't know what it is for you. Maybe you're getting into that sort of winter season of life and you're just realizing there's, there's less and less days left for me. 
You know, and that brings anxiety and fear and worry. And maybe those are the things that God is saying, hey, bring those to me because I'm here. I'm with you. I'm for you. That anxiety is not, worry and fear is not an enemy to be crushed, but it's that God's using that to show us, hey, these are the things that I'm in control of that I want you to bring before me. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication. Here's two problems, though, that we face. Number one, because of technology and the internet and our phones, we are far more aware of all of the different worries in the world than we have human capacity to handle. And so, you know, 100 years ago, you only knew what was happening to your immediate family and in your community, (laughs) you know? And it's almost like ignorance is bliss. And now... If you don't know about everything that's going on in every country, you know, then where have you been? And, and we're not meant to carry that weight. We're not meant to handle all of those burdens and worries and anxieties. But the second problem is that we try to hold on to our anxieties. How many of us, maybe we don't verbalize it, but in our minds we think, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? What am I going to do? How am I going to handle this? What am I going to do about this? That sounds an awful lot actually like prayer, just prayer to yourself. Whereas the gracious invitation of Jesus is to pray to him. First Peter reminds us, cast all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. And you know what that means? You know what the freeing part of that is? That means we don't bring our best self to him. We don't bring our put together self that's like, okay, Jesus, I know the verses and here's, here's what I'm, we bring everything. We bring our very selves to him, our very core as we currently are with all our insecurities and all our doubts and all our worries and all our questions and all the wrestle and all the inconsistencies in our minds and hearts. We bring all of it to him because he says, come to me, all who are weary. Come to me, all who are, come, bring it to me. And so we bring all of that mess of who we are to him. He graciously invites us to do so. And it's there that he meets us with more and more grace than we could ever imagine. And as we let go of our insecurities and as we let go of our fears and as we let go of our anxieties through prayer, here's what we find. Jesus sympathizes with our weaknesses. And what, we, what replaces the anxieties and fears we let go of, the text tells us, is gratitude. Thank you, Jesus, that I don't have to bear these burdens, but I can cast them on you. Thank you that you were with me and you will never forsake me. Thank you that you are for me. Thank you that you are allowing me to go through this trial because I know that you have something good in store, right? So gratitude fills our hands when we let go of our anxieties and our worries. And then look at this. Um, Verse seven, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, Everyone thinks you're crazy because they don't understand how you can have that peace. Look what the peace of God does. Will guard your hearts and your minds. It's almost like you receive the peace of God as armor. 
around your heart and your mind to protect you from other fears and anxieties and worries that are coming at you, you have the peace of God, which doesn't make sense to the world because they don't know how, like the world we live in right now is almost like if you're not really, really anxious, you're not paying attention. Isn't that true? Like, there's, there's some of us that like turn a blind eye to everything going on in the world. And there's other of us, others of us that go, if you don't, if you're not welling up with anxiety about all the problems in the world, you're not paying attention. And reality is a Christian can say, no, no, I'm paying attention. I can just see beyond the problems. I can see a sovereign God who's in control of all things, who loves me and has a plan. And I can trust him. I can see past I can see beyond those issues. And so we can say things like this, though I may suffer, I know that I will not suffer alone because he is with me. Though I grieve, I do not grieve as one who is without hope. And though I will certainly face tribulation in this world, I can take heart because he has overcome the world. And it doesn't make sense to the world. It, it surpasses their understanding. <laughs> but how will we ever win the world to Jesus if we are worried about the same stuff the world is worried about? We won't. So again, get broader perspective, greater perspective, and be guarded by the peace of God. Does it make sense? Okay, I'm running out of time. So let's hit the gas here on these last two verses. Verse eight. Finally, this is hilarious. Look at chapter three, verse one. Finally, <laughs> finally, chapter three, verse one, and now chapter four, verse eight, finally, you know, he's a pastor. Okay. He's like, I mean it this time. Finally, finally, just got one more point. It's going to be okay. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. And what you've learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. So my final point is growing through practice. Growing through practice. Paul here lists out eight different categories of appraisal. So we all have categories of how we appraise or evaluate the world. And Paul lists eight of them out here. And this is important because I think his categories are deeper than most of our categories. Look at them again. True, whatever's true, honorable, just, pure, lovely, commendable, excellent, worthy of praise. Here's what I mean. Okay, we all have, I would, I would assume, almost everybody in the room, probably everybody in the room, has the category of true-false. Right? It's one of the ways we evaluate or, or appraise things, right? There's true, there's false. Okay. Most of us probably have the category of just or unjust. We know, we know when things are just and not just. Okay. But do we have the category of pure and impure? or honorable and dishonorable, or praiseworthy and not. So one of the reasons why there's so much conflict in our current culture is we all have different categories of evaluation, okay? So someone might say, well, uh, their, their, categ their main category is just and unjust. And they're like, well, as long as it's not hurting someone else, then it's fine, it's just. And then we go over here and we go, yeah, 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 but what about praiseworthy? 
What about honorable? What about pure? Is it pure or impure? And they're like, well, I don't care about that. I only care about what's just and unjust. Does it make sense? So we end up in conflict because we're evaluating differently. Paul here is pointing us to a deeper, some deeper categories of appraisal. And he says, of all these things, what's true and honorable and just and pure and lovely and commendable and excellent and worthy of praise, think about these things. Now, I don't know what comes to your mind when you hear the word think, but what Paul has in mind is contemplate, dwell on, study, uh, even meditate on, right? Roll over. There's a, a sense in the original language of like, you know how you, um, if you're savoring like a piece of candy, it kind of rolls over in your tongue, right? It's like that in your mind. Roll these things over in your mind. Meditate on them. And this is not, hear me, this is not a strategy for ignoring our problems. This is actually a strategy for looking beyond our problems in our circumstances. Because here's what I know. A lot of us, our minds get stuck in loops, don't they? So a fear comes to mind, something that makes you anxious, and it starts to loop, and it's the only thing you can think about. This happens to some of us? Maybe it's um, anger. Someone has sinned against you or hurt you, and the only thing, like, it's like if I said, hey, don't think of pink elephants. The only thing that comes to your mind is a pink elephant, right? It's like... Um, it, we start to loop. It starts to circle in our brains. Anger, what they did to me, and you just can't let it go, and it's just swirling, swirling, swirling. For some of us, maybe it's lust. You know, a thought or an image make, brings our brains into a place, and we just can't we start obsessing. Or maybe it's envy or jealousy. You see what someone else has, and you want it, and then all of a sudden, here you are spiraling in unproductive thinking, and you're just caught in these loops of thinking. It's a form of meditation. It's a form of contemplation. It's thinking. It's just unproductive thinking, okay? And so uh, Paul is trying to get us to to reform these thinking loops in ways that are Christ-centered, that that are honoring to God, that are um, biblical. So I did this at the nine. I'm going to do it really, really quickly. Last night I was finishing up these notes and uh, just making a few last edits. And I saw something in a passage that I hadn't really seen and wasn't planning on preaching about, and so they're not fully formed thoughts, but I'd like to share it with you. That's okay. Good? Well, it doesn't matter if it's good or not, because I got the mic. So here we go. <laughs> um, just h- hold together here, chapter 3, verses 17 to 19, and chapter 4, verses 8 and 9. Chapter 3, 17 to 19, and chapter 4, 8 and 9. There's another contrast here, again, between those who are citizens of heaven and those who have their minds focused on earthly things. And here's what it looks like. Um, In 17 to 18, he says, hey, brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us, which is very similar to what he says in chapter 4, verse 9. What you've learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things. He's their example, right? Okay, but then look at what he does. Verse 18 There are some who walk as enemies of Christ. Their end is their destruction. Their God is their belly. So they are giving themselves, they are worshiping their desires and their passions. But what does he tell us in verse eight of chapter four? If there is anything worthy of praise, think on these things. See, the people whose minds are on earthly things are worshiping their desires and appetites. But you, citizen of heaven, think on those things that are worthy of praise. 
He says in verse 19, they glory in their shame. They're reveling in shameful things. What does he say to us who belong to Jesus? Whatever's pure, lovely, honorable, commendable, think on those things, not shameful things. You see the difference? Again, how will we ever win the world to Jesus if we are thinking about the same stuff the world is thinking about? If what's consuming our minds and hearts is the same stuff that's consuming the minds and hearts of the world, whose end is their destruction? And so Paul is calling us to an act of faith here. As citizens of heaven who are choosing joy, who are releasing our anxieties to the Lord, and who are being guarded by the peace of God, we are called to think rightly based on who God is and who we are in him. We are to reason with or preach to, Matt mentioned that earlier, to preach to ourselves, to reason with our hearts and minds about what is actually true, what is actually lovely, what is actually beautiful, what is actually worthy of praise, and to to sort of press those things, wrestle those things into our hearts. And we all know that what, that the mouth out of the overflow of the heart speaks, right? Matthew 12, which means what's in our hearts and our minds leads to what comes out of our mouths, leads to our actions and our behaviors. So, so Paul's call to us here is to rewrite those loops of thinking. Um, Romans 12, to renew our minds, right? And to rewrite those loops so that we live in ways that are honorable to God. We think of things that are honorable to God. Um, let me give you, let me come at it from a negative example. I hope you guys are following this because it's really good. Uh, I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> okay, uh, let's think of this kind of negatively. Um, what happened at the cross? Jesus continued to say to his disciples, hey, I'm going to the cross. I'm going to die. I'm going to rise again. Like this is going to happen. He said it over and over and over again. But what happened at the cross? What happened when Jesus actually was nailed to the cross? What happened to the disciples? They all left, right? They fled. Why? Because when they saw Jesus nailed to the cross, they could not see how God could use that for good. They thought, oh, it's over. Jesus died. I guess we'll go back to fishing. They couldn't see beyond the cross. They couldn't see past it. But Jesus saw past it, didn't he? What what does Hebrews 12 say? For the joy set before him, Jesus endured the cross, despising its shame. In other words, Jesus was able to see past the cross to your redemption. He was able to see past the cross to his resurrection. He was able able to see beyond the cross to his exaltation at the right hand of the Father. He was able to see beyond the cross to his return when he makes all things new and we are seated with him in the, in the heavenlies and our joy is complete because with our, like he saw all of that. He was able to see past the cross, see beyond the cross. And so he was able to endure the cross, despising his shame because he could see beyond it. Their minds were set on earthly things and they couldn't see beyond it. And so what, what, what the author of Hebrews challenges all of us to do in that same verse, Hebrews 12, is to look to Jesus, to fix our gaze on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith. Or another translation puts it, the founder 
and perfecter, the author and finisher. So here's what happens. As we look at Jesus, who is, by the way, the ultimate fulfillment of all that is true and lovely and good and beautiful, like all this description, when you, when you find yourself in a situation, in a circumstance where you're, you're asking what is true here, what is honorable, what is righteous, you could also ask who, who is true in my pain? Who is honorable? Who is righteous? Who is pure? And the answer is Jesus. So we look to Jesus. We fix our gaze on Jesus and all that he is, all that the scripture says that he is, all that he's done for us, all that we are in him. And over time, his truth and his beauty and his purity and his love and his praiseworthiness starts to transform us from one degree of glory to the next. But it takes practice. We talk about practice practice. It's, it takes, he says it right here in verse nine, what you've learned and received and heard and seen. So you have an example. Now it's your turn. Practice these things. Here's what I know about practice. You make a lot of mistakes. My boys are playing basketball right now. And, uh, you know, I remember coaching them when they were like five. And now my son is, well, you've seen him. He's like a giant. He's a starter on varsity and, you know, like he can dunk the ball and stuff. And I remember when he could barely dribble, but he practiced. You know what I'm saying? How many of you, um, you've like remodeled, you know, a room in your house, maybe rearranged your kitchen or something. And then you go to look for something in a drawer and it's not there anymore because your wife moved it and didn't tell you. Anybody else? No. Um, <laughs> And, and, but you get it right away, don't you? <laughs> I've been in my house 10 years. I still can't find stuff. You know what I'm saying? Like I'm looking for where it was in the old house. <laughs> We've been in this house 10 years. And I, when we first moved there, probably for the first month, I accidentally drove to my old house. Does that happen to anybody else? Because <laughs> we lived there for nine years. And you just get in this well-worn pattern. And you, know, you leave work and you're not thinking. And it's sort of just instinctual, right? And you're just driving along. And all of a sudden, I'm like, that was my exit. <laughs> you know? So it takes practice. It takes time. We should be gracious with ourselves because Jesus is gracious with us. To rewire these loops, to reconnect these, you know, thinking loops is going to take time and practice. But here's the good news as I wrap up. I really mean it. Finally, finally, finally this time. Here's the good news. Look at what he says in verse 9. Practice these things and what? The God of peace will be with you. Hmm. So now we don't just have the peace of God guarding us. We have the God of peace with us. In other words, okay, he is the author and finisher, the creator, uh, founder, and perfecter of our faith, right? So we practice he perfects. We work, but he who began a good work in us brings it to completion. You see that? So this is not, when you read Philippians 4, this is not Paul going, all right, guys, get it together, right? Rejoice, put a smile on, stop worrying, and do better. Sadly, that's what a lot of churches preach. 
and that has nothing to do with the gospel. What Paul says is, you can rejoice because the God of peace is with you. He's in control, and he loves you. And by the way, he invites you to cast all your worries and anxieties on him. And you know what he does? He gives you his peace to protect you and guard you. And you don't have to be anxious, and you can actually rejoice. And as you start to practice rewiring these thinking loops, the God of peace is with you to help you. It's such great news. All we have to do is trust him. And that's the hard part. So as we wrap up, I've got a couple questions I'm going to throw on the screen for you. Uh, here at Missio Day, steadfast. It's going to take a while for all of us to get a hold of that. Um, I like to end the sermons with questions. Not every week, but most weeks. And here's why. Some of you who are in community groups are going to take these questions to group. Some of you are going to go to lunch after this, and you're going to talk at lunch. I've heard of people who have a pretty long commute home have these conversations in the car on the way home. And sometimes it's amazing, and sometimes there's tears. And, you know, it's fine. So... These questions are for you to, to, to recall what we talked about and hopefully that the Lord does something in you and you're able to um, latch on to something that, that was meaningful. So first question is this, and you can write them down as they come, or a lot of people take a picture of the screen when they're all up with their phones so that they can take them with them. First question, where do I need a new perspective on my circumstances? Okay, so, you know, like when my kids were little, um, they would get like a, every once in a while, like a not great grade, you know? And I'm like, this is fifth grade Latin. It doesn't matter. You know, like in 10 years, you're not even going to remember that you took Latin. It doesn't matter. Like get a better perspective. So this is in our circumstances and situations, where do we need a new perspective? Where do we need to get up above the clouds, up 30,000 feet, see the whole board, see the whole thing. So we're not just stuck in a conflict or a challenge or a circumstance. Where do I need a new perspective on my circumstances? Second, what keeps me from releasing my anxieties to Jesus through prayer? For many of us, it's because we don't believe that if we will release him, that he'll meet us there. We don't think we can trust him. And so we hold on to our anxieties and our worries and our fears, and, and we think, I will do it myself. And the only thing you're going to get from that is more anxiety and probably an ulcer. You are not meant to carry those burdens, but to cast them on Jesus. So what, is it pride? Is it fear? Is it a lack of trust in the Lord? What keeps me from releasing my anxieties to Jesus through prayer? Let me just put a caveat on this and say, I'm not talking about all anxiety everywhere. I realize that there are physiological issues for which sometimes medicine is the common grace of God to us. Hear me? Okay. So I'm not saying if you have anxiety, there's something wrong with you or that you should be able to solve it all just through prayer and giving it to Jesus. But there are many of us who carry everyday anxieties and worries, and we don't have to because we could give them to, to Jesus. Okay, time in. Third, how can looking to or thinking about Jesus, focusing, fixing my gaze on Jesus, help me see beyond my current challenges with joy? For the joy set before him, he endured the cross. What can I face for the joy set before me? How does, how does the gospel, the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, how does that help me see past my current challenges 
and understand, put them in perspective so that I can weather those storms with joy, knowing he's with me, he's for me, he will never leave or forsake me, okay? And then fourth and finally, where do I most need the help of the God of peace in my life? The God of peace will be with you. Where do you need him most right now? Where do I most need the help of the God of peace? Whatever turmoil, challenge, struggle I'm dealing with, we have the promise that the God of peace is with us. Where do we need him most? Okay, uh, I've gone too long. I'm gonna pray for us, and then we're gonna move into our time of response uh, here at Steadfast Church. We respond in three ways. First is communion. And so if you're a follower of Jesus, you'll be invited down these middle aisles. There's two tables at each station. Maybe I should say two stations at each table. Uh, there is wine and juice available at each, whether, whatever your conscience allows, uh, gluten-free bread at, at all stations. And so you can take a piece of bread, dip into the juice or the wine, remembering what Christ has done for us, the peace that we have in him because of his sacrifice. And we're looking forward to the promise that we will be with him one day, free from anxiety and worry and fear, our joy complete. And so we come in thanksgiving and repentance uh, to these tables. If you're not a Christian, you can stay seated. If you have mobility issues, I think m many of you maybe on the back row are the ones with mobility. Uh, Pastor Mark is going to come with a tray uh, to serve you communion, so you don't have to come down these aisles. But if you're able to, you can come down. As you make your way back to your seats, there's black boxes in the back for uh, giving. If you are a, a, a member or a regular here and you want to give financially as an act of worship, you can do that. If you're new and want to be known, connect card. If we can pray for you about anything, take that backside of that connect card and it's for prayers. You can drop it in those giving boxes as well. Uh, and then the band's going to come up and lead us in some songs as we get ready to uh, close out our gathering together. Father, I thank you so much for your kindness to us. Thank you for the opportunity to gather under the authority of your word and in the presence of your spirit. And I pray that something that's been said today would be helpful to my brothers and sisters. Help us now as we respond to trust you, to turn away from ourselves and our sin, to uh, depend on you and uh, to receive all the gifts that you have freely offered us. That not just the peace of God, but the God of peace, joy, freedom from worry are all ours in Christ. And I pray that you'd help us to embrace that and to honor you as we respond now in repentance and giving, in worship and in communion. We love you and we thank you for this time together in your word and pray your blessing over this time of response that you would be honored and glorified. We pray in Jesus' name and by the power of the Holy Spirit, amen. As soon as I get up, the tables will be open. Let's just have a moment of silence briefly.